The test group cannot prove God exists and remain embedded in the fallen world. It is not possible to prove God exists while living as if he does not exist. It is our life that serves as the evidence. If someone were designing an experiment to prove unicorns exist, he would set the experiment up in an environment where the probability was high unicorns would be found. Even though we know very little about unicorns, the probability is that they would not be found at the bottom of the ocean, within the crater of a volcano or in outer space. God cannot be proven to exist within a physical universe. God cannot be proven to be subject to the laws of causality. If the proposition God exists implies or assumes God exists within the physical realm, it contradicts its own premise. This need to step out of what most think is reality poses what you may consider to be an insurmountable problem for the experiment. If God is not a physical being and cannot be found within physical reality, how can his existence be proven using the empirical method? The project to provide an empirical demonstration of God's existence is not a project that will be embraced by a run-of-the-mill researcher, despite the confirmation of God's existence being the greatest scientific breakthrough possible. Empirical scientists belong in the control group. Empiricists mislead themselves and others regarding the level of difficulty proving God empirically. Indeed, before considering how difficult it might be to prove God exists within their framework, they might consider whether the framework they operate in is as real as they assume it to be. If physical reality has no objectively verifiable existence, ought they be surprised if something that has a true objectively verifiable existence cannot be proven to exist within it? The problem that empiricists have is akin to the problem a researcher would have, trying to prove natives were Atlanteans. First prove Atlantis exists before debating its flora and fauna. God has no limits, but he imposes limits on us. Mankind is limited by the logic God imposes on us. God is beyond logic, but mankind is not. God cannot exist, logically speaking, in anything that constrains him. If x greater than y, y is not equal to x, where y is God and x reality. We commit a fundamental error if we see God in an aspect or element of the physical world. It is a common practice to say we see the glory of God in a sunset or his majesty in the elegance of a mathematical theorem. But God is better seen in the humanities, for it is here that God connects with man and as man entered our universe. But we must respect God. God is the creator and therefore has absolute power over his creation. Yet, mankind believes men and women have a right to own nature. We are given a portion of the real world to care for. Collectively we have dominion over the earth, but the local church or body of believers has jurisdiction only over the resources we need to care for each other. It is this undisputable fact that man has never created anything natural that makes the experiment a project of the humanities. We believe God expresses himself to us most clearly in the humanities. 
The experiment to prove the existence of God assumes we must be obedient to His will. For the purposes of the experiment this means the test group must reject both private and public ownership. We own only what we create and have no claim on what was created by others, especially if this other being is God. Mankind can add value to the assets created by God. This value can be quantified and issued as a currency. For the purposes of the experiment this currency is referred to as prefers. This is a contraction of preferred shares. Preferred shares are issued on the equity created by specialized transformations of the world's assets. When used as a currency or unit of account the equity created by the test group is issued as prefers. The experiment consists of the systematic transformation of conventional businesses into charitable institutions operated by test groups. The crucial first step is for the participants to divest themselves of what does not belong to them, their commercial and underused assets. Test and control groups must be separated and the best way to divide them is through the work of a charitable institution. An exchange's business transformed into an operational test group. Exchanges are charities that can be set up with as few as two or three persons. A unit of account based on the equity within the charity is used to track operations. All that is required is for the group to create a charitable institution with a mission to help one another. The focus of the test group is on evangelism. The intent is to engage in evangelism in a scientifically verifiable way. The success of the experiment requires resources to be shifted into exchanges from what would otherwise be part of the control group. By growing in size, wealth, and relative importance, the test group demonstrates charitable institutions work better than private and public ownership models. The assumption is people who follow scripture perform consistently better than those who follow another strategy. But this is said, with the assumption that the exchange model of a charitable institution is implemented by the test group. The test group is more just in its operations. The test group utilizes citizens' courts as outlined in the video and blog of the same name. Because it operates with a more sophisticated understanding of equality and justice, the members of the test group operate with less waste and a higher rate of equity creation than those in the control group. The control group exists and has existed for 6,000. The control group consists of the conventional institutions we are familiar with. But there must be conditions attached before anyone can move out of the control group to become a member of the test group. The test group is not composed of people who self-identify as Christians. Were it this simple the church would already have outpaced their secular counterparts at every level. The operation of the experiment is not just a process of implementing a program, the program itself separates the test group from the control group. This division is absolute. The deeper the division the more accurate will be the results of the experiment. If the two groups are indistinguishable, comparing the two groups will result in a finding that belief in God has no impact. That is the state of the experiment, in the way it is being conducted, as of today.
If there are only a few features that distinguish the two groups, the level of divergence will be small, it will be difficult to gauge the impact that faith has on an individual. We may see a difference if we look hard for it, but so far as the quantified methods of science, the difference between control and test group will be difficult to isolate and measure. The pursuance of the experiment must be accompanied by a systematic separation of church from state if the experiment is to have a measurable impact. This truth creates a serious problem for the test group. A founding premise of the liberal system is that no one owns anything in the absolute sense of the word. There are always claims against the property one thinks one owns. This world recognizes three sorts of ownership, and none of them can be fully isolated from any of the other forms. It is not that private and public ownership does not exist. But these ownership models are not to hinder the pursuit of the liberal agenda. Man is not God. Humanity is not the highest and most perfect conception, nor can we strive towards this objective. But the control group must think like God and consider themselves the highest possible conception of being. Eliminate God and theoretically there cannot be anything higher than the ego of man. The desire of the control group is to be tantamount to God. The control group want to control all things as God controls all things as they pursue this agenda. The control group is the group that prioritizes control. Which is why we need to divide from them. We cannot permit them to access our resources or hijack our agenda in pursuit of their own. Both groups exist to prove the existence of God. The distinction is the God each group attempts to demonstrate exists. The division between the groups is defined by the God each serves. This experiment was never, not engaged in. What we do here is make the experiment visible and accentuate its edges. In a word we are working to formalize the experiment and in so doing, clarify the control group and the test group. But the division is not simple to achieve, there is much law and tradition in place to prevent the casual separation of peoples and groups from the political, economic, and religious powers. As sovereign citizens tend to realize as they get their day in court, regardless of how impeccable the logic, if one does not have a gun to make moot the objections of the resident authority, your logic will fall on deaf ears. As the arguments of the child are refuted by a slap on the butt, the sovereign citizens' movement failed because they could not overcome the logic of the sword. The sovereign citizen has logic and reason on their side, but by their own arguments the debate exists outside of the legal system they find themselves countering. The very legal system they claim has no power over them does not see them in a legal sense. One cannot stand outside of the legal apparatus and make a legal argument against it. There is no legal basis for claiming the law does not apply to you, in fact, trying to make such an argument is incoherent. We cannot prove God exists in nature nor can we use nature to prove the existence of God. We cannot prove faith works whilst acting in bad faith. We cannot embrace secularism or even tolerate it and demonstrate God exists. 
To do so would mean God and evil can be reconciled. The test group must separate from the control group. We must seek our own God apart from those seeking a different God. So the question of how to conduct the experiment really comes down to a single concise issue, how does the church separate from the world, and by extension, where do we draw the line between us and the unrepentant other? The answer is perhaps not as hard to come by as one might think. The line is where our property ends and yours begins divides us. Your secular socialism ends where your budget ends, and our accounting begins. In a very real sense, the division between test and control group is an accounting problem. Keeping the two groups apart is keeping their hands out of our pockets. The purpose of socialism is to destroy the historic experiment. The line between believer and unbeliever is of the same substance as the line that exists between nations. The line between test group and control group is a property line separating owners of assets from one another. The control group has its assets and we our own. The entire focus of the experiment is to keep them and their ideas out of our lands. The church is the steward of its land and the secularist is owner of record of his land. We conduct our experiment within the boundaries of our property and observe the goings-on in the lands beyond our own. The experiment is as successful or conclusive as the groups are insular. NIMBY is not just a statement of anxiety, it is a dire necessity if we hope to live as God intended. The success of the experiment is a measure of how well we defend our border. NIMBY means no secular ideas, agendas, or doctrines are permitted across the border between control group and test group. Think of two walled cities, Babylon is the city of the damned. Meriton is the city of the saved who live in faith serving as a light on the hill and a conclusive proof of the existence of God.